You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. I'm Christian Babcock, the host of the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. And what we do on the podcast is we talk to disruptive companies in the outdoor industry, talk about innovative hunting solutions that are changing the landscape, as well as offer you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. All in all, I just want to help you become a better hunter by providing you with high-quality knowledge and information that you can trust. Stay tuned. What's up, podcast listeners? Thank you guys for tuning in for another week of the Hunter's Advantage podcast. This week, we are talking to Chris Young. He is a backcountry bow hunter who lives in Idaho. Uh, He's a guy that I follow and admire on Instagram. He's killed elk bear, mule deer. He's just a really interesting guy. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode of the podcast. Listener, a little context into, you know, where you're located at, what you're doing around like backcountry bow hunting and stuff. All right. So I am actually in Idaho and I am about 45 minutes south of Boise. That's probably the closest like big city people know from Idaho and just a little, little small farming town. Uh, I grew up here. So we, and I, st- I love it here. We stayed here. And so I do all of my kind of backcountry hunting around here. Yeah. What kind of, what kind of game did you grow up hunting and you know, what is, how is that transition and what does it look like right now? I know I saw you chasing like a, a big muley recently. And so how, how's that, how's that <laughs> oh, been going man. for you? <laughs> Don't bring that one up. No. <laughs> so I actually grew up ma- mainly only elk hunting. So I've been on three different deer hunts in my life. Uh, I grew up elk hunting cause we, so we grew up, I grew up on a farm and I worked on a family farm, uh, all through high school and uh, long story short, went in the Marine Corps, came back to the farm, uh, before my career now, but, uh, on the farm, all we could do was late, late season hunts cause we we're in harvest. So all of my hunting was kind of based around elk hunting. So we would elk hunt in November. And that was like the thing you looked forward to was just those nine or eight days of elk hunting. Uh, other than that, I was not able to do uh, much other hunting because of all of our, the way we worked. Um, and I always swore on the farm, like, man, I want to be, I want to be a bow hunter. Like that's gotta be the coolest thing ever getting within bow range of some of these animals. So when I ended up switching professions, uh, and kind of exploring some things, I got a bow and that was just over, it would have been a year ago in like April. So I, I haven't been doing it for very long, but ever since then, man, like I just, I went all in. So now I chase everything with a bow. You've um, only been bow hunting for a year. Yeah. Dude, you have, I've been watching some of your stuff on Instagram. You have a really, really good form for only hunting for a year. Hey, thanks, man. I, I started off with no, like no, no one kind of, no one showed me how to shoot a bow. Like I went into a bow shop and they're like, Hey, you know, and I'm like, man, I want a bow. And they're like, here you go. You know what I mean? And so that was like <laughs> right. pretty much it. And, uh, I, I loved it. Like I was shooting a hundred arrows a day, but I wasn't, I didn't have great, great form, uh, to start. So, you know, you don't see results when, when there's flaws, uh, but you don't see those like when I'm shooting to 40 yards in my backyard, like I didn't see those. So I ended up shooting pretty well at a couple like local little 3d tournaments. And then I went to the Northwest mountain challenge and so on the pure elevation course, that's like there it's, it's wretched. You're shooting some wicked angles at like 
you know, 75 yards on a 3d buck, but it's like, you're actually, it's really like a hundred and something yards. It's just the angle. You're going to shoot it for 70. You know what I mean? Right. So that's when form flaws came out. And I was shooting with uh, a guy that I know is I'm actually really good friends with now that I knew through social media. And the guy is one of the best archers I've ever met in my life, like flawless. And, uh, he's like, and I'm, I'm like, Hey, you know, I know we're shooting competition, but I'm obviously no competition for you. Could you, uh, do you mind helping me out? And he's like, dude, absolutely. So he kind of took me under his wing and showed me a bunch of things there. And then when I got home, I just completely like threw everything I had in the trash pretty much. And re I started watching a lot of Dudley stuff and I started shooting a back tension and shot a back tension for over a year. And man, I just, I tried to put so much work into my form because I know, you know, you know how it is being a bow hunter. Not everything's going to be perfect in the woods. So if you can put everything on, on your side, then boom, you know, you're in the right direction. Oh yeah. No, that's what I've been doing recently is I'm, I'm actually going to September leaving or not, not going to September, going to Colorado in September. So next Friday I leave for Colorado and I've trying, been trying to put myself in some of those weird situations. It's like a, right. I live in Austin, Texas. So like, okay. um, I, I've been shooting and it's dude, it's a hundred degrees in the evening when I go shoot, but oh. like we have a, we have a 3d course and there's like 30 targets and you know, by target like 10, you're like, this blows. But it's like, right. but like you're drenched and like, dude, yeah. I, that's, I think that's the kind of scenarios you're going to be in, in the mountains. Your legs it are going to be tired. You're going to be Absolutely. drenched. You're going to be pissed off. Like all yeah. those things are going to be happening. So like Without trying to rep, yeah, trying to replicate those things is tough, but I definitely think it's something, something that you have to do. Right. I, I totally agree. And so, well, and actually this winter, like just trying to work on my form even more, I shot just a blank bale in my up, upstairs in my house and kind of like our little, my man cave, I guess, area, my weight room area. Mm-hmm. I shot a blank bale target for two straight months and I did not shoot a target outside. And that was so hard anywhere from like five to 50 arrows, five days a week. And it like, it, it got, it got old, but I, I kept telling myself like, this is going to pay off. And then a couple of my buddies who are really, really good archers, I would record form videos or have my wife do it for me and I would send it to them and I'm like, Hey, everything you can pick apart, destroy this. Like I, I want, I want to try and perfect everything. So they yeah. were, they were super gracious and they helped me out so much. And yeah, it, I mean, it's come a long ways. I got a lot of confidence in my setup now, so it's the ups and downs, but that's all right. Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. Uh, your, your form is, is definitely, it's, it's, if it's not already there, it's it's getting there. John Dudley <laughs> hey, is like a great guy to watch. That's a, that's a great wealth of knowledge. But I know that you're you being a backcountry guy and being an elk hunter. You know what what kind of tips would you give for someone first time out west? And just to give you a little context, grew up in Oklahoma, uh, whitetail. Um, you dipped into some antelope last summer or last uh, last fall. So that's this is kind of my first uh, my first getting my feet wet in in the West and really excited about it. Really to take some absolute licks out there. I know that's gonna be it's gonna be a trip of a lot of learning. But what would you what kind of tips would you give for you know a first time elk hunter going out archery season? Uh, the biggest thing that I would say is do your homework before you get there. Uh, I know people preach e scouting and I'm a big time big time e scouter. Uh, with my work, it allows me to do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also get a lot of boots on the ground, but obviously someone coming from Oklahoma is not going to be able to do that. So try and do your homework on the unit you're going to be hunting. And I I guess I'll throw this out there. If 
don't don't be the guy that looks at this basin and is like, oh, this is a mile from the end of this trailhead. Like, this is perfect. There's elk here. Yeah, there probably is. But there's also probably 15 other guys that all hunt this same area. So look at this place that's, you know, it's 800 vertical feet and you got to climb this rock face to get back into it. But there's this little water hole back here. And, and, and it's like, those are the places a lot of people don't want to go. So if you want to put the odds in your favor, especially being somebody that's spending a lot of money to come out here, be willing to do those things that other people don't want to do. So, so come out here with the, that mentality, do your homework and just come out and get after it. It's going to be totally different. I've never whitetail hunted personally, but I have friends that do it. Uh, a lot of people through th- social media as well. Mm-hmm. And it's, you're going to come out here and you're going to run a gun and you're, <laughs> it's going to get in your blood. Cause that's what elk hunting does. And it's the coolest thing ever. Uh, we can go back to shop mechanics too. make sure you you've got some sort of repetition that you do every time, you know, come to full draw anchor, wherever you're going to anchor, you know, run yourself through these things mentally. Cause when you get here and that bull is screaming at 45 yards away, it's going to be a whole nother ball game. I've all kind of my whole life, uh, never in the rut, but when my, I killed my bull last year, he was, be- he was 45 yards away, chuckling, going crazy. And my knees are shaking and I've never got buck fever in my life, but that, and that environment is totally unlike anything else. So just, just try and do the small things to prepare for it. Uh, I, I, a lot of people, Yes, you should try and do your homework to where you can time it weather-wise and moon phase-wise uh, to be able to get that experience that you want. Uh, but, but be prepared to adapt to whatever it is. You know, if you can't say you can't make it at this part of September, so you, you can only make it the end of it. That's fine. You know, if you come at the end of it, expect crazy running behavior, but also expect it to be tougher uh, to kill good bulls. You know, you're going to get a lot of satellites that come in. Um, and early, they may not be going crazy like they are at the end of September, but just because they're not doesn't mean you can't kill good bulls. Yeah. What do you mean by moon phases? How, how does that, I know for a whitetail, a uh, full moon, probably going to be moving a lot at night, maybe not as much daytime movement. What's the effect on an elk in as far as moon phases go? Right. So, and I'm not like, I'm not a guru with this. This is all stuff that I've just kind of learned from being out in the woods and experiencing it. But I know a lot of people that uh preach on when an elk comes into estrus to start that rut is when the moon when the moon is how do they how do you say it so the moon's out exactly as long as it is during the day as it is at night so there's a certain amount of moonlight that reaches a a cow elk's uh pupils that's what starts the rut so Mm -hmm. uh I, I i've only done a little bit of research into that uh but what i have experienced is it does seem to be right but the, another big thing you want to play with with the moon is, uh, especially with elk, if there's a full moon, you're going to have elk feeding all night. So it's going to make bulls harder to hunt, except for first thing in the morning and late at night. Now, you can still hunt bulls in September all throughout the day, but be prepared for those. So if, the, if it's not a full moon, those bulls might be out till 10 o'clock uh, and you may be able to get them worked up a lot easier without getting in their bedroom. And if it's you know, if it's a full moon and they go bed earlier, you may have to get within 200 yards before he'll even talk. And you're going to experience those in heavily pressured areas as well. For example, so the unit I hunt, uh, it's a, it's a really pressured unit. And I think we heard four bugles last year. We had way more encounters than that, uh, because bulls like to come in silent because it's so heavily hunted in wolves. Wolves mm-hmm. are also a big issue in Idaho. Right. Um, 
but we uh that fourth bugle we killed so i was able to get an arrow in him nice that's awesome yeah. i saw i saw that bull that was that was really cool so yeah. from an from an e-scouting perspective i here's here's kind of my take on on x and stuff like that is it works. It's super cool, um, and I think it gives you very good general ideas. And Absolutely. but like getting getting specific, it's like like you said, boots on the ground. It's right. so tough. It's so tough to know. Like I went to Mississippi uh, last year turkey hunting, and it was like, oh, they're gonna be right here. And you walk in, and like you can't see your hand in front of your face. You're like, this is not what it looked like on Onyx, you know. But like, what do you? What are the things that you're gonna look at um, for? You know, maybe an early season elk hunt on onyx excuse me uh some of the bigger things that you're going to look for and i so i use google earth probably as much as i use onyx yeah i use I google more sometimes <laughs> yeah absolutely i i totally agree the biggest things that i'll use onyx for um they have a lot of really good features like your a lot of really good layers like your roadless la- layers those kind of things obviously public and private's important but uh, i really like using the roadless feature but uh, the biggest things that I'm going to look for is try and find places that you can get away from people. And I'm not saying like, you don't have to get eight miles away from any trail to kill a bull elk. Like I know people that kill elk half mile from the trail all the time. Like it's all, it all just depends on the terrain and how you're going to hunt them. But the biggest things I would look for is really good North facing slopes uh, with escape routes, whether that's some sort of draw that they can get out. Uh, those bulls want to feel comfortable. So when they're going to go to bed, they want to have somewhere close that they can get to that north facing slope and bed. Um, and other things that I like to look for, water holes, obviously places where they can wallow. And actually, a lot of times you can find those on Google Earth. You can get down in there and find the train and, you know, here's a perfect little meadow. Oh, and look at that half a mile up the ridge, this really steep face. There's a north facing slope that kind of saddles out. The wind probably swirls in there perfect. There's probably a bull in there because he feels comfortable there. It's shaded. There's feed close. There's water close. There's probably going to be cows in there. Um, so he knows that's where he wants to be. And it's hard to get in on him because the wind swirls. So he's going to feel safe. Yeah. Do you consider, would you consider like the, the unit I'm hunting has a lot of creeks that run through? Would you consider like a creek a water hole? Like I know like a Absolutely. secluded pond in the back somewhere is probably going to be more isolated and you can, you know, obviously you know, sit that a little bit easier than a creek. But what, what's your opinion on that? Uh, personally, I, uh, and this is both with what I have, I've seen mule deer wise and uh, elk wise. I have, I, you don't, I do not see them water at big water sources a lot. Like, yes, you'll get ponds, but like those high mountain lakes, I hardly ever see mule deer or elk water there. They usually hit the tributary or the creek that runs into it. So yeah, absolutely. You'll also find, especially elk hunting, you're going to find a lot of water wallows in that area because they're going to go to that creek and end up working out a big spot in there. So that's where a bull will go to wallow and when he's in the rut. And that might not be something that you could tell on like no. on X, like it just might be a no. creek and you walk in there and you just see that, oh, he wallows right here all the time. Exactly. Is that something that you yep. would sit in the early season, especially in a unit that has a lot of maybe pinions or junipers and like you can't see that far? So do you, are you saying early season, like very beginning of September? Or are you saying yeah, something yeah. like Yeah, so our, our hunt is, uh, is September 1st through the 7th. Okay. So personally, what I would, that is an option and it, and it might fit your style too. Uh, I, I would like, I would rather move, style. but okay. so yeah, I, I'm it, trying to get away from I would, style. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Then I, I wouldn't, if I were you, 
I would, uh, I would just cover country, um, be confident in your ability to run a call, you know, put the work in so that you can call. But honestly, I wouldn't worry about it. Then you're going to face pr- some hotter temperatures. It's probably going to get harder or it's going to be more difficult for get to get bulls to respond, but you're going to be able to do it. Uh, Someone that I really, really uh, like to listen to a lot of their stuff is Paul Mendel, the elk nut. That guy's a guru. Like he is super, super sharp when it kind of, so his method, his slow play method is exactly how I killed my bull last year. It took me an hour and a half to work my bull up. So just because they're not crazy in the rut doesn't mean you can't kill those elk. So you might get, you may be in working a draw or crunching through. That's another thing too, is it's a totally different style when you're elk hunting. You don't really have to worry about being quiet. Like I, it's not like I'm stalking in on mule deer or trying to get to the stand or something. You know what I mean? It's you, you, you want the elk to think that you're an elk. That's, right. that's the whole point. You're trying to call them in. So I am not quiet. Like I, my style totally changes when I get to elk hunting, I'm crunching sticks, I'm breaking branches, just walking through the woods. I'll occasionally cow call throw out some bugles into draws. Um, but one thing too, is you might not get a really just hyped up response right away. It might take you a while to work, to work that bull up. Yeah. So what's this idea of the, of the slow play method? Is that, is that (laughs) like a, a method of calling? Like, so I don't know if you guys have any, if you guys hunt turkey in Idaho, but I've heard that the calling methods of an elk are very similar to that of a turkey, kind of like, uh, for instance, you use it as like, you use his like, um, inquisitiveness to his yeah. like disadvantage. So it's like, I, instead right. of being like, I'm right here, I'm right here, I'm right here. It's like over here. And he's like, where? And you're like here. And then you're like kind of quiet yeah. about it. And he's like, Hmm, is that, what do you mean by the slow play though? So, so a lot of what the slow play that, uh, that Paul preaches, cause this is, this, this is definitely not me. This is something I learned from him and I I've just kind of taken and done my own thing with it. And it works, it's worked really well for me in my last season. We were able to call quite a few bulls in that way. Uh, so it's, it's kind of, so you're going to get a bull. And if he, like I said, if he responds, it may not even be a full bugle. Like he may just let out a little, oof, just kind of letting you know, like I'm here, I'm in my bed. That's about it. So the slow play is you're trying to get that bull to think that you have a hot cow. So what I will do is I will work some just real small cow, cow call sequences. So I'll just work like three cow calls and then I'll let, I'll leave him be for a while. And it might be five minutes shoot last year. I waited like 15 minutes in between two different cow call sequences and then I'll get a couple more cow calls and then I'll let out a small bugle like, like me. So I'm trying to get this bull to think that me and a cow are talking and I'm trying to get it, this bull to think that this cow's coming into estrus and she's my cow. Like I'm I'm right here. She's my cow. I'm trying to impress her. Mm -hmm. So I'll work these cow calls and I'll bugle a little bit, just kind of a, like I'm having a conversation back and forth between a bull and a cow. And, you know, I'll just keep working that slowly and I'll give it a couple minutes in between sequences. And pretty soon you're going to notice that he's like, well, Hey, what about me? And you can work in cow calls too, kind of longer. It's not like some people call it an estrus call. It's kind of that whine, Mm -hmm. uh, but Is it really can, nasally? Yeah, 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 kind of. So yeah. you, you can work that, what a lot of people would call, it's it's more of like a cow's location call than an estrus wine from what I've seen. So mm-hmm. you can call that, uh, you can end up calling that. And then you can start talking to the other bull as the cow as well so that she's got interest in that bull as well. So that bull thinks, hey, I have a chance with this. 
So what I did with my bull, I'll just give you that example is I worked cow call sequence. He just kind of just in his bed. That's about it. So I, I gave him 10 minutes, sat on the glass, just kept looking for other bulls. About 10 minutes later, I gave a couple more cow calls. He kind of let out a small little bugle. You could tell he's kind of moving around his bed a little bit, hadn't got up. So I just let out a little location bugle, nothing like I didn't rip. I didn't try and tick him off. Nothing. Just let out a little location bugle. And then I just kind of little tiny cow call sequence after that. And then, uh, same thing. I gave it five or 10 more minutes and then, uh, I let out two little cow calls and he talked again and I kind of cut him off. Like I didn't, now I didn't raise it all the way up to like a 10 I'm still at like a five because I want to be able to go up from this point. So I just, I kind of like, Hey, don't talk to my cow, you know, <laughs> no way. No, like, what yeah. do you think you're doing? And you could tell he, he got up at that point and he's like, Oh, no way. Uh-uh. So as soon as he got up, I, I, I was probably 300 yards above him on the hill. Thermals uh, are still in my favor. So I ended up cutting down, down the draw. And like I said, at this point, I'm not trying to be quiet because he thinks that I'm another elk. So I'm just crushing through this brush and you can tell he's coming. And now the sound of me coming to him, breaking branches, he's not happy. So he starts coming to me too. And he's starting to chuckle a little bit. Well, every time he chuckles, I'm going to, I'm going to hit him back with another bugle. So I end up knowing where I, so I'd already scouted this area and I knew that this was a rutting area. So I knew how he was most likely going to come up this finger. So biggest thing is, is I know during the day, it was like about eight thirty nine o'clock here pretty soon. The thermals are going to change and the wind might switch, switch on me. So in order to not get winded by this bull, I cut down to his elevation because you know, your thermals are going to go up and down. A lot of times they're not going to go left or right on a hill very rarely unless it's going to swirl on the draw, which doesn't happen a lot. So I cut down to his elevation and same thing, this bull's really worked up and I can hear him coming. So I give out like this, these cow calls, real whining, like trying to get his attention. And he's chuckling every time I cow call now, which is a huge, like this bull's coming in. So he gets to like 85 yards and I let three real long, real long Esther C cow calls just back to back to back. And he starts chuckling at me. So I turn, and this is another thing too. I was solo, so I didn't have someone to set it up, which can be hard is the setup with an elk hunt. Mm -hmm. So I uh, use my bugle tube. I turned behind me and I threw a challenge bugle, big lip ball up the canyon, up that draw to kind of give him the perception that that bull was now on his way to take that cow back. So I ended up cow calling down in the bottom of that and I cut him off when he chuckled back at me with that big bugle. And then he ran into 60 yards and just took every branch off of this tree, like just every branch. And he's, he raked that tree for probably 15 minutes and I'm 60 yards away and I can see him through the brush. And I know right where he's got to come out because he, like I said, I'm, I'm using my hand to throw these cow calls in a different spot because I don't want, you know, I'm solo. I got to make the setup at my advantage. Right. So the way this draw, the way the draw was, it worked perfect. I would just throw these cow calls to the bottom of the Creek in that draw. So he, he keeps looking down there every time and he's just taking every limb off of this, off this tree. So I just creep into where my, I've got my farthest shots, 45 yards, set my pin and just wait. And pretty soon once he's all polished up and feeling good, he starts just prancing out like he's going to impress his cow, cow called and 
there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. I mean, what are you thinking when? So this is your first archery bull, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> what What are you thinking, man? When you're at full draw and you're like, "Oh my, I'm about to kill so, a bull with my bow." Uh, it was so. I before I even got to full draw, like I said, my knees are literally shaking. Like I'm just like knees wobbly, and I'm telling myself, I'm literally like, "Chris, you gotta relax, man. Like this is not gonna happen if you don't relax." So I was able to kind of calm myself down. Well. I ended up missing my first arrow. I'll, I'll just kind of continue on with the story. And I had this bull so worked up that I immediately cow called at him again. And he flipped right back around and started showing off to her. So I stopped oh, wow. him a second time, full draw. And then that's when I hit him. Well, long, it was a long track. I don't know if, you, if you'd followed along with that. Long story short, I ended up, so when I crawled through that brush, here's another thing for you. Double check your gear. <laughs> So I crawled through that brush and it knocked my uh, sight has a micro adjustment. Well, it knocked my sight off about eh, 10 inches, eight inches, right? So I did not hit this bull good at all. That's actually why I missed the first arrow too, the way oh, he was no. positioned. And, and also that, and probably the fact that I was stoked, you know what I mean? Shaking. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but no, yeah, it was, it was crazy. But uh, I'm definitely super, super meticulous about my gear now. Like, I, every time I stop double checking, making sure everything's tight. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I've, not a good feeling. I've I've heard now. Uh, I was talking to a guy from Drew Outdoors last night on the phone, and he was a uh, he was like, "Yeah, man, you need to write down uh, ex- the exact line that your rest was on when you walked in, and the exact yeah. lines that your sights were on." I was like, "Oh, that's." I was thinking to myself for a second. I was like, "Ah, oh, it sounds kind of dumb." And then no, he was like, no, he's like, I promise you the first time you hit your bow on a tree, you're going to be like, I'm going to yep. miss, I'm going to miss. And so like right. that, that just affirms it right there that, yeah, that is, that's that a is great idea. I've always done it, uh, with like my site, I'll just take like a little Sharpie and mark it, but I've never thought about it with everything. I mean, it makes perfect sense because it gets in your head more than anything. You know, you might not have even bumped it off, but you come to full draw and you're like, man, I remember when I, I bumped my bow on that juniper tree. This is not good. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and that's the last thing that should be going through your head. So, no, that's like, that's a great idea. What kind of like when you're when you're in full draw, like are you are you just trying to get like super uh, systematic about you know okay, I need to anchor here, nose to the tip of the string, corner to the mouth, pull, 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 pull. Like how how big of a factor was like shooting you know hundreds of arrows in, pre- in preparation for this oh, hunt? Oh, big time! I actually killed that bull with a hinge. Really? So. Yeah. Yeah. I shot the sweet spot pro and, uh, that I I love that. I do love that release. Um, shot the sweet spot pro and it's solid. It really was. It's got the safety so you don't punch yourself in the mouth. Um, but I love the fact that I could, you know, you can't punch the trigger and I've shot it enough now. I don't know if you saw it. I recently switched back over to a trigger because I was having some struggles, which Mm -hmm. those struggles ended up being my rest. Same thing. Got bumped. I had no idea. So, uh it was that i was tearing way right um ended up getting that all squared up with my buddy and i am like extremely confident if it's within 70 yards it's gonna die now uh granted everything else goes perfect you know what i mean (laughs) oh yeah but so uh yeah and honestly that hinge helped me more than anything like i now i did just like you said i come to full draw i find my anchor point on my jawline nose to string corner of the mouth and then i wrap my finger and I, I, I wrap and then just like freeze my finger solid. I don't move my trigger finger after that. 
And then same thing I would do with that hinge after I click the safety off is I just pull through. So it's the same thing. I let my pin float and just pull through and I know what's going to happen after that. Yeah. No, I mean, I, uh, I'm shooting the, uh, knock on silverback right now. Yeah. I have that release and I have my, I have a wrist strap, like a Cobra moment. I was shooting a true ball wrist strap and then I had a, a, a thumb button too. But man, dude, the first time I shot my back tension release, cause I was like, Oh, I'm going to get the silverback and I'm going to hunt with it this year. I've used the thumb button. It's going to be the exact same. Right. I about, I about like let go of that thing about four times because really? like the first, the first time I got full draw, like I didn't realize that I had any kind of like, I don't I don't want to say target panic cause it's so cliche and you hear that all the time, right. but like, I, I was I was jumping and I was getting nervous because I was like, oh, I was anticipating this shot going off. Yeah, and absolutely. when you have to pull your shoulder blades and really like consciously like pull, 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 pull. And right. it's it's about when you're like, I can't pull anymore. And then it's like, bang, and it goes off. And like <laughs> that, uh, that's like just getting used to that is so nice. And right. like for myself now, I'm, I'm just now getting used to the point where I'm like, oh, I can shoot them the same. Like it doesn't matter which one I'm shooting. But it's nice because now I'm bringing, I'm shooting my wrist strap now, and I really feel like it's going to be really nice to have that consistency. And this one actually has where you can take the the actual barrel of the of the release and push it down by your wrist, so it's out of the way. You're not banging on stuff, which is nice. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it's going to be nice to have both of those releases. And it, it like you're saying, it really does. It helps to shoot the back tension because it it, it really gets those bad habits out, even, even that show in a wrist strap too. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. Well, and you can develop bad habits with that, with your back tension too, which I think I was starting to develop some. It's really hard to do, you know, like you said, target back panic's really cliche and it's really hard to do uh, with a back tension, but there's definitely things you can do, whether that's, so I ended up getting to where I would start to drop my bow and that, I don't think that's due to them a hinge. I think that's just wanting to see where I hit uh, after my, my encounter with my bull is, I ended up dropping dropping my bow and uh, man, I missed probably the widest mule deer. Actually, without a doubt, the widest mule deer I've ever seen in my life last year because of that. So it was well, one of those really really steep angles. And I like I said, I got in the habit of wanting to see where my arrow ended up. So mm-hmm. I was dropping my bow. So that's that's what happened. And I, I have no doubt that's what happened. It's afterwards I knew it. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. But, yeah. But what that's all right. What are you, what kind of stabilizer are you using? I see that you're using this really long and it almost looks like it has like, like rivets or like some sort yeah. of adjustability in there. It's super long. What are you, what are you shooting? And why, what do you think that long, the benefits are of that super long stabilizer? So I shoot the crossover, uh, 12 to 33. Uh, there's quite a few people shooting it. I actually met a guy at a local archery shoot when I was kind of between, I had like one of those little octane, like I said, you know, bow shop here's your bow kind of thing. You know what I mean? Uh, I was shooting like that little four inch stabilizer on this setup and I was exploring. So I'm asking a bunch of people, uh, at the shoot and one guy, um, uh, shoot, shot a crossover and he's like, man, you got to try these. And I was looking at equivalizer mainly and I'm like, yeah, I do actually like that. So I started doing some research, uh, ended up getting one and I love that thing. So it's telescopic. So I can bring it all the way down to 12 inches and put it away like in my case or i can extend it all the way out to 33 and i run it i don't know exactly what it's at like 26 or something like that uh and i love it at full draw it just my bow sets really well um i feel i feel like the biggest difference is is once i stretch out like if i want to stretch out for a second arrow and get out to 90 it really helps my pin settle 
Really? So you yeah. don't you don't think that heavy stabilizer? Um, so it's actually pretty light. You really? Yes. Yeah, so you can put anodized weights, uh, like iodized little stainless steel weights, on the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I took them off because I don't like a lot of weight at the end of my stabilizer. So it's it is super light. I have no idea what the weight actually is, <laughs> but mm. it's it's not that heavy. It's it is actually pretty lightweight, so it doesn't make my bow. I, granted, I like to run a heavier bow anyways because I feel more stable at full draw. Oh right, yeah. I feel like anymore. Like I've shot a, I've shot a lot of bows like without a stabilizer now, and they're just most of them are just so balanced now. I'm like, no, oh, this is pretty nice, and you won't notice right. like at 20 yards. No. You're like, I don't need a stabilizer, but then you get right. out to like 50, 60, 70. Yeah, you do. I'm running a sidebar at the moment, but I really yeah. feel like the, uh, I. I I feel like having a little bit more weight out front and, and just farther off the bow might even help a little bit more. So I'm just interested. I think I see a lot of people shooting those like quiver stabilizers now too, which yep. are a lot longer. And that's kind of like a, a theme now in like Western hunting. It, it seems like big time. I That's what I was actually looking into. And one of my really good buddies uh, shoots one and he, he loves his, he swears by it. I just, there was a few things that I didn't love about it. Uh, like being in the elk woods, crawling through stuff you know, on a stock for a mule deer. There was just a few things where I was like, I just don't know if I'm going to love it. So I I don't see myself switching anytime soon, but granted you, you get really heavy arrows and a tight spot on the side of your bow and that stuff, that makes a difference too, you know? Right. Yeah. No, hundred percent. So in terms of like food and stuff, like what are you, what are you packing? I saw, I see on your Instagram sometimes you got a tent. You're like, this is my second home. So I assume you're out here, like (laughs) you're out here, like roughing it to an extent so like yes. what are you what are you packing and make sure you get like calorie dense meals in because i've got absolutely everything i've planned for i've talked to like 12 people i think i have everything for this trip besides the food and that's going to be extremely gotcha. important so what do you what do you recommend in that department you know it, all of it's going to be preference wise there are so many good companies out there uh that make really good foods i run all of heather's choice dinners and then their packaroons. um it, it's going to depend on if you're going to go stoveless. Uh, a lot of what I do, I I like to run my stove first thing in the morning for coffee and then in the evening for dinners. And that's about it. Other than that, I want to be able to get up in the morning. I don't like getting up super early. Uh, obviously you're getting up early for hunting anyways. So instead of getting up even earlier and mixing up some oatmeal or something, I like to drink my coffee, have a bar and go. So I will, I'll do like coffee and granola bar in the morning. Um, something throughout the day, like uh packaroon or some sort of gr- another protein bar, same thing for lunch, some sort of like meal replacement bar. Um, and, and then I, I honestly, I mix it up a lot. Like I like to have sweets, like sweet food, like gummy candies and that kind of stuff on the mountain. Uh, just because I feel like that helps you, you know, kind of get through it. Like it, it gets old, just eating dehydrated meals and protein mm-hmm. bars like that, that gets rough. So I, I eat a lot of honey stingers. Um, and then that midday kind of same thing, another bar, some jerky, some dried fruit maybe. And, uh, and then maybe another pack room. And then in the evening, I usually do one of the Heather's choice meals because once I get back to camp, that's when, whether I've packed in and have my base camp set up like a couple miles back and I'm going to go back to that every day and day hunt off of that. Or if I'm off my back, like it works perfect. Uh, with those dehydrated meals. So what I will do is uh, like I'll pack in. Um, and then, like I said, like with my bear hunt, we ended up killing that bear, but we knew we weren't going to get him out that night because it was a long ways back in there. So 
it was like, well, we're staying here tonight, which is, we planned a three day backpack hunt anyway. So it's perfect. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll just heat my water up, get it to a boil, which is quick with, with my little stove. I'll heat it up real quick and then put it in that, uh, dehydrated meal and wait for it to, to, uh, be good. Takes like 15 or 20 minutes, which is perfect. So I'm going to set my shelter up, get my sleeping pad out, get everything set up to where I'm going to, you know, I got camp set. And once that's done, my dinner is usually done. So it's perfect. Then I sit down and enjoy. And, you know, if I'm with a buddy, we just sit and talk about tomorrow's hunt or whatever it is. But honestly, find stuff you like. I would try a bunch of different things. Um, I would recommend trying to stay away from like the mountain house, backpacker pantry type stuff. Uh, nothing on them. They're cheap. But uh, personally, uh, on longer backpack hunts, like more than three days, I just don't feel good. All the sodium in them. I feel really bogged down. Uh, but I, like every now and then I'll take like a ramen or some junk food. Cause like I said, that that's kind of nice to little, little pick me up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but, um, I would recommend, like I said, I like Heather's choice. Um, the, I've tried some of the peaks peaks are pretty good. I have a buddy who runs those, um, that I would just look into a lot of those, uh, off grid makes pretty good stuff. So I would look into a lot of those companies that are that you, when you read the back of it, you know what the ingredients are, you know what I mean? Right that that's huge you know and and flavor is going to be everything too because everyone's got a a different palette like i said i love the heather's choice stuff but some people aren't going to like chili with bison in it well i I guess crazy people won't but (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) yeah so so you're from what i'm hearing from you is a lot of a lot of protein bars a lot of a lot of like little snacks throughout the day and then kind of a good hot meal at the end of the day exactly yeah and that's something you can look forward to you know especially come september like here like now in August, like it's starting to get a little cooler, but like sometimes it's like, man, I don't really want anything hot. Uh, but I do it anyways. Cause I know that those are, those are my best meals. They've got so much in them. Uh, they're clean. They're going to make me feel good in the morning. Uh, but like, especially come September and then as you get into later hunts, it's like, man, I cannot wait for that hot meal. You know what I mean? Right. So it's just, kinda, it's kind of another pick me up, you know, in, in its own. Yeah. But so do you like if you had your ideal hunt and you had to had to pick one, would you rather would you rather do a hunt off your back or hunt out of your pack or do you like to set up camp and come back to that every night? Which one's your preference? Honestly, I love the both of them. They're both unique in their own. I grew up doing the latter, like setting up a camp, but I love to backpack hunt. Like I just love to get in places that most people don't want to go. Yeah. Uh, I, and honestly, and this is kind of crazy, uh, I would rather kill um, a smaller animal off my back deep, like that bear I killed. He was a beautiful color phase, like once in a lifetime color phase, super, super, super blessed with that bear. But, uh, he's not a huge bear. He was a younger bear, but I would have much rather killed that bear off my back, backpack hunt with a buddy. Like those are the memories you remember. It's not the one where, you know, you pulled up, you walked up the hill and shot this buck and then you packed him off the, you know, you just drug him down, put him in the, the four wheeler, which is awesome. Like if that's your thing, that's awesome, but it's not mine. Like I would much rather just get that nasty pack out all uphill, like brutal. Those are the ones you remember. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't, those are the ones I look back on and tell stories about like, man, can you remember that one time we did this? And I'm like, Oh, that was terrible, but it was the best thing ever. Oh yeah. No, that's, I heard something really funny today. It's like, you hate the test, but you love the testimony. So yes. it's like the test absolutely sucked. It sucks doing it. But like when you embrace the suck, you're like, oh, dude, we're going to talk about this for so long. Right. And exactly. That's that's so cool. I mean, it so is. do you do you like 
like staying as far as a like if you got in on a bowl or something, would you try to how far away would you stay and would you set up would you set up camp relatively close to that so you could get right back in in the morning? Would you like to back out and or how does that look for you? Uh, depends on kind of where he's at and what they're doing. So if like that's the area they're going to rut, I'm going to back out and get out of there. If I know he's going to move tonight then and we had just called him in from a longer distance and I know he was headed to a different area, uh, then I may stay, you know, half a mile away from there. But if not, I'm probably going to get out like a mile, maybe go up the ridge and over the other side. I just, uh, especially like now with mule deer too, like, I just don't want to push anything, you know, in that scenario. I like to sit around camp, eat food. We might even make a little fire just to enjoy like on my, on those spring bear hunts where it's a little co- cooler. We might make a little fire, sit around the campfire and enjoy food in the back country. So it's, I don't want to have to worry about my scent or just the fact that, you know, it, animals know you're there when, when you're close enough. So that's, that's something that I'd, I'm not going to risk pushing that bull in the morning. I'll get up earlier and get back to his spot. Like if I know he's going to bed within that couple hundred yards, I'm going to go like, up the ridge and then down a ways and maybe just off to a little basin on the side and stay there instead of just up to the top of the ridge and staying. Cause like I said, I don't want to bump him. I know where he's at, where he's going to be in the morning. If I'm certain I'll get back there. I might have to pack in and just go by moonlight or by uh headlamp to get in first thing in the morning, but I got no issues doing that. I'd much rather do that and have an opportunity on that bull than push him because I didn't want to pack further for camp. Yeah. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about the the whole thermal story. It's something that I think I understand okay, but maybe the listeners haven't got enough context into it. How are you going to hunt a bull or a mule deer or an antelope, something like that? How are you going to hunt them based on thermals? You know, uh, so thermals are somewhat simple, but they're not. Like, uh, as far as I know, thermals, uh, what I know about them is during, when it gets hot during the day and things change, the thermals are going to change and you're going to get wind going uphill. So like early in the morning, it's going to be going down. And then, like I said, about that 10 o'clock, depending on the time of year, it's going to switch. It's going to be the opposite in the evening. Once it starts to cool off, you're going to get wind going downhill. Uh, And that's just going to vary on terrain and where you're at elevation wise. Uh, A lot of people, they're elk hunting worry like, oh, I'm not going to go get up on that ridge this morning because the wind's blowing down. If that bull's 500 yards down in there, the odds of him catching your wind right away is very small. Like I said, I was up on this bull. And I know that the thermals were blowing down and he was probably three or 400 yards, but that it, you'd be surprised what the trees trap sent wise. So like he was down in that timber and he didn't, he, I knew he didn't win me and I knew he wasn't going to, so I didn't worry about that. And then once you get in that point where you're going to play it, that's when you really want to take it into a factor. Like once you're going to cut that distance and get to that hundred, 150 yards and really play the game, that's when you want to want to work them for elk. So like I said, uh, thermals aren't going to go left or right, like side to side on the mountain very often at all. So I would prefer to get on their exact same elevation and have him come across side hill. If you can now a lot of things too, like if you end up getting it early in the morning and you can call that bull down to you, that's, that's awesome too. Because one thing you're trying to get that bull to come in and think he's going to either breed or fight. It's better if he thinks he's going to fight because He's just so blind with rage. Uh, if he thinks that it's just a cow there, he's probably going to come in, try and get her wind, see if she's actually in heat uh, and coming into estrus. Um, but if that bull was coming down to fight and he's coming downhill, majority of the time he's coming in blind, like he's going to come get on top of you before you even have the chance. But like I said, thermal wise, I would try and get on the same elevation, but I wouldn't worry about 
when you're elk hunting, this is different when I hunt mule deer. I tend to play it a lot different because I'm in more open country um, and the thermals are going to be a little different this time of year. Um, but when I get in the timber and start hunting elk, even with big open spots, I don't worry about it nearly as much. Really? I mean, what I've heard is like, so to correct me if I'm wrong, are you, you're going to hunt or I'm actually just going to ask you. So would you hunt up at a bull in the morning or would you want to start on top of him and hunt down based on how you, would you want to start on top because the air is going to, or the sun's going to hit and the air is going to rise in the morning, therefore taking your scent up and away. Is that yeah. how you think about it? Or so it depends. Like if I know for a fact that bull's in there, then I would much rather, uh, come down and let that win that change. And then like hunting first thing in the morning, if I, so say there's a bull in this draw and I can hunt him from above the ridge or below the ridge. And I know that he's in this draw. That's what you're saying, right? Right. Okay. So if first thing in the morning, I personally, I would much rather be below him if I can, because the likelihood of me being able to call him down and get him worked up first thing in the morning. And, uh, before those, that sun hits and the thermal starts to bring my scent up the hill are pretty good. Like I said, if he thinks he's got a bull below him that wants to fight, it's, I mean, it's just kind of like, you, you know, if I'm, I'm, if I'm picking a fight with my buddy, I'd much rather be standing uphill than downhill. Right. Right. The same thing. He, he feels way more powerful being uphill. So if I could be in the bottom and I know he's in there, then perfect. But if I got to wait it out and wait for those thermals to change before I go above him to try and call him up, then I'll do that as well. But I would, if I had that opportunity in the perfect world, I would be below him and just right before first light, I would start working that bull before I could even shoot like five minutes before hoping that he comes downhill before those thermals change. And if I can tell they're starting to change back out a little ways and get uphill, get on his elevation and play the game from there. Right. Because, and this is a hard question because there's not a one size fits all because there's so many right. different situational factors that, that go into this. But like, like you're saying, the sun's not going to hit you yet, so it's not going to be taking your scent up to him. So you'd rather be on the lower ground because if, if a guy up on the hill is like, hey, come fight, I'm going to be like, dude, I'm I'm not going to waste my energy getting up there. You come down here. <laughs> exactly. You know? exactly. So, no, that makes sense. And that's something you have to be really conscious of because, dude, that's why hunting's so tough is like everything changes and, you know, 30 minutes could be the difference in you harvesting something yeah. or not. And that's that's part of the chess game that we play, though. No, it's so true. Like, for example, me and my buddy were, uh, last year on that elk hunt, uh, the week before we were sitting up on the ridge and we hadn't seen anything or heard a bugle. We'd heard one bugle in like three days and called a spike in and that was it. Right. And it's like, man, this sucks. This is our first week in the unit. You know what I mean? And it's like, man, this sucks. This is no fun. Like, this is so hard. And so we're like sitting up there like, man, I wonder if we should hunt this unit next year or this unit. And then, uh, literally five minutes to last light bull chuckles 500 yards below us in the draw. And it's just like, boom, that's all it took. You know what I mean? And it's so right. It's it just like you said, you never know what's going to happen. And so uh, obviously we're going back to that same unit. It was just that, that long day of, Oh man, it's so hot today. And this is rough, but mm -hmm. it, you just, you never know. All it takes is, you know, five minutes and boom, you got an arrow in a bull and you're like, wow, <laughs> everything changed. Exactly. So when you're out, I, I see your, your profile picture is you uh, with some binos and a, and a good uh, tripod stand with them. Yeah. So how important to you are a good set of optics in this more open country? And do you feel like having that, that stand helps you quite a bit too? 
Oh, without a doubt. Uh, so like, especially for my mule deer hunt and I'll end up taking them for my elk hunts too. Cause I can get to spots where I can glass a lot. You get up to like Northern Idaho or Oregon optics aren't nearly as important, but where I hunt in Idaho and, uh, especially for my mule deer hunts, I've always got a spotter and a tripod. And even if I'm not going to get the spotter out to run that, those binos on that tripod is a game changer, especially during the hot, early season when it's hot. And I might just be looking for antler tips or that buck to just get up, turn around and lay back down. You know what I mean? Like I'm looking for the smallest things and picking apart every shadow in this North face. And you just, you can't do that by hand. It gets, you get too tired too fast, especially I run big. So I run big, bigger optics too. I run vortex 15s. So the 15 by 50. So it's a bigger magnification. I personally love it. Some people don't, but I love to run them on my tripod just like that. Like I'll go sit on a North face, something might be thousand yards away and I can still tell, you know, oh, that that's a buck we want to go after. Eh, just a couple does and a smaller buck. I'm not worried about it. You know what I mean? Right. So the, the tripod's a game changer for me. Yeah. I mean, we have a, the unit we're hunting is pretty thick, but what I learned antelope hunting last year is you do not want to be using a piece of crap <laughs> set of set of binos because I mean, I got a nice pair of loophole, like uh 1040, I think they're 1042 s but yeah. I don't, I'm just, I'm trying to think in, in terms of like, do I want to get a spotting scope? Is that something, is that something that I should invest in? But like, I see a lot of guys like you, like, do you think that 15 power binos is like comparable to a spotting scope? It, it is very similar. So a lot of what I, the only time I get the spotter out is when I'm glass, like when I'm trying to see something a long ways off, like you're not even hunting at that point. Like you're just trying to spot him, bet him down and then go hunt him. Uh, but honestly, if you get a good set, like I, I really do like my vortex. Uh, they've been really good glass to me. Um, mm -hmm. and those 15s are nice because it's kind of that intermediate. Like the only time I have to get the spotter out is if I found a buck or a bull that I'm like, and it's a little different archery hunting elk because we're going to call, call bulls in. Now I may try to glass up a good bull and bed him down and then hunt him from there. But the fact like I, uh, like on this hunt, I want to find a good buck. So it's like, oh, here's a buck. I can see him. He's you know, 1600 yards away. I can tell he's a buck in the 15s, but I don't know exactly what he is. So I pull up the vortex spotter and get that razor and go out to, you know, 48 power and really pick this buck apart. And I'm like, oh man, yeah, he's not a bad buck, about 20 inches wide. You know what I mean? 28 inches wide. So-and-so yeah. you can really pick antlers apart and pick that, those small things apart. And also it, that that's the only difference I get with my spotter. Like it's most of the time. And I like to run it anyways just glass and long distances, but those 15s in a tripod, oh, they're money. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel like you could save yourself so much time and energy with a nice set of binos, you know, and then you're like, man, oh, yeah. I should have spent the extra 300 bucks. You know, I didn't right. have to walk these 14 miles, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Let my glass do the walking for me. Exactly. Yeah. I had vortex vortex optics was actually one of the first people I ever had on the podcast. And like, they were telling me all about optics. I was like, huh? Like I grew up whitetail hunting. So like I was right. like, that's, that's what your rifle scope's for. And they're like, yeah, no, right. <laughs> you need a good set of optics. And I'm like, I don't know. And then like after like 35 episodes later, I'm like, I need better optics. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. They're so right too. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big time believer in getting good optics. Like if I could recommend something that you're going to get for a Western hunt, first thing is get a good pack and a good pair of boots. After that, get good optics. Yeah. So, man, I know you talked a little bit about being in the Marines, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. So how do you think, did that prepare you at all for, you know, Western hunting? I know that you said that you did it, uh, previously as a, as a kid and stuff, but how do you feel like that helped you, um, in these kind of scenarios? You know, it, it does, uh, I think to a point, but I think you can get that from any tough situation in life, you know, when things get hard, uh, like, like I said, those days where you're just like, man, you can come up with every excuse like, oh man, we should go back two days early because I could clean the house and it'll make my wife happy or something, which is great. Yep. Like I try and take care of those things before I leave, but it allows you to like that, that those kind of situations uh, help me build mental toughness. So when I got into situations now where it's like, man, this pack out sucks or man, I don't want to get over that ridge. Like this, this is brutal. Like that bear hunt, we ended up got. I can't even remember exactly what it was, but it was like close to 16,000 feet of elevation gain and loss in that day. We killed that bear. Like it was wow. one of the, physically one of the hardest hunts I've ever been on. And it was that point, like for just, I am able to draw back on all those hard times in life and just get that t- mental toughness to where it's like, Nope, uh-uh, I've worked way too hard for this. Like I've, I've worked my whole life to get this opportunity. Like I got to get over here. So you know, I feel like it, it makes that difference, especially when you've spotted an animal and it's like, man, I might be able to get in this opening and get a shot off, but, oh, it's half a mile away. And we've gone, you know, we've already gone 14 miles today and it's just those tough days, but it, it, it allows you, you know, to get, to kind of build yourself up and know like, and not just the mental toughness, but when you've put yourself through hard things in life, it's like, oh, I know I can do this. My body might tell me I can't, but I know I can do it. I've done it before. I've done something similar. Right. So you're, you're saying that's a good experience is it's a great experience. There's nothing that to take away from that, but having mental fortitude doesn't, that doesn't have to come from the military. Like you can, exactly. you can do that out in the back country. You can prepare yourself. Yep. Like, how do you prepare yourself at home? Like, what are you thinking about when you're sitting at home? Are you like, are you going out? Are you running? Are you, are you lifting? Are you doing, uh, you know, hit <laughs> workouts? What are, what are you doing to prepare your body? And I know you can only prepare it to a certain extent because you can't replicate right. the back country at your house. But no, right. And, and I'm blessed enough that I live close. Like I spend, so I, and it was funny cause me and my wife were talking the other day and it was kind of one of my way of justifying all the money I spent on gear, but it's like, man, I spend over a hundred days a year, like sleeping off my back in the back country. And so I'm like, Oh, I should get this. You know what I mean? But it's like, I, I'm blessed enough that I'm able to get up there and do a lot of that stuff. But when I'm not, uh, what I do for my career, I got to stay in peak shape. Uh, so a lot of what I do is, uh, I, I try and stay on a, a weightlifting schedule this time of year is so hard because I, I'm hunting almost every day off from August till the October. And then I take small breaks in October and usually end up doing a vacation with my wife. And the November is pretty similar. So like this time of year, it's tough to stay on my routine, but I, I try and lift a lot. Uh, I try and do hit workouts. I, I hate to run. I used to love it back in high school back in the track days. But now I'm like, man, I don't want to get out and run. That's the worst thing ever. Like I'd much, I'll just put weight on my pack and go up the, up and down the stairs in the house. But yeah, I try, I try and stay in the gym, uh, try and stay consistent in the gym, you know, depending on the time of year, but I try and keep it year round, which luckily what I do, uh, for work, like I said, I got to stay in good shape. So I can't yeah. allow myself to get, what are you doing that, that makes you stay in this kind of shape? You're, you're alluding to it and I'm just going to go ahead and ask you, <laughs> Uh, you're talking about, uh, yeah, what do you do for, yeah. What do you do professionally? So I work for a local, uh, sheriff's office. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Are yeah, you, uh, so are you like a sheriff's deputy? Yes, I am. Yep. That's awesome. So, my, my, yeah, I enjoy it. 
a lot of people, what's really funny is talking to a lot of people throughout the industry is like a lot of people are law enforcement officers. Like my dad just won the chief of police uh, election back at my hometown in Oklahoma. I live in Texas. That's but so he, awesome. Yeah. So like it's so funny to see that, like that connection. Like it seems like a, a lot of people are, are yeah, like law agree. enforcement officers. I totally agree. And yeah, I didn't even know that going in, you know what I mean? And I, it, it's nice. Like work, I, I love what I do for work. So that's a plus, but like I get, we work four days on and four days off. So I, I'm able to hunt and be in the back country so much. It's, it's such a blessing. I literally work less than half the year and get a hunt, you know, most of the rest of it. So it's, it's awesome. Yeah. What a, what a blessing, man. Well, yeah. I really appreciate you coming onto the podcast, man. I'd love to talk to you again, you know, sometime in mid September when I come back from my hunt, I'm sure we <laughs> could have a lot to talk about. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll have to catch up again. If you, if you need any help or any pointers, man, feel free to hit me up and I'll, uh, I'll give you what little bit about, are you, you said you're coming to Idaho. Is that right? No, no, no. Colorado, Northwest Colorado, oh, Colorado. Okay. Well, totally different ball game, but, uh, I, like I said, uh, enjoy it, man. Get after it. It'll be fun. You're, you're going to get the bug and I guarantee you'll be back every, every year. <laughs> I know. I, I, I feel really bad for my pocketbook, but it's going to be really fun. <laughs> right. Without a doubt. So. Hey guys, thank you so much for consuming the Hunter's Advantage podcast. We really appreciate it. And we really do do the podcast for you all. And just to stay in tune with that and what you guys want to hear, feel free to message us on Facebook or Instagram on who you would like to see on the podcast next.